Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, candid conversations about life and flavor. Before we get into it, I want to share a bit about our sponsor. The inaugural season of Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine. Now in its 10th year, Slow Life Magazine celebrates the culture of San Luis Obispo with features on the people, influences, products, and businesses that keep this city moving and shaking. I've written the food column in Slow Life Magazine since 2015, where I cover restaurants and food trends here. And over the years, I've seen how devoted Slow Life Magazine's following really is. Readers love learning about their community and weaving into the fabric of this very special place. To learn how you can subscribe, be sure to visit their website at slowlifemagazine.com. Known all over the Central and Southern California coast for their meticulously farmed heirloom produce, Barbara and Bill Spencer own Windrose Farm in Paso Robles. But farming is only a part of what the Spencers do. Barbara is a professional cellist and a professor of music at Cal Poly University, and Bill is an advocate for permaculture and human-scale development, and a killer baker of rustic bread to boot. Their story of purchasing and building Windrose Farm is fascinating, as is their discussion about life on the L.A. restaurant circuit and what the future holds for them and their property. I did this interview in their home, so you will hear their dog, Bonnie, playing with a chew toy. You'll hear the phone ring, etc., etc. Barbara and Bill also had to share a mic, so their voices are fainter than mine, so crank up the volume. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. So, uh, Bill and Barbara, I came here, I want to say, a year ago, or maybe more, to see, is it, is it Could be two? two? Yeah, time flies. Okay. Yeah, and I remember it was because um, I saw a friend of mine and I have a tradition of giving each other a cookbook on our birthdays in April, and I got Jessica Koslow's book from Squirrel, and I was flipping through, and I saw this beautiful kitchen, this yellow and green kitchen, (laughs) and it was in Paso Robles. It was at your house. I couldn't believe it, and here I'm in San Luis Obispo. So, um, and then I was working for Edible Magazine. We were doing a feature on kitchens and we, and we wanted kind of a farmhouse style kitchen. So how long have you been here? I mean, on this property. On this property since uh, 1990. Oh, oh, I didn't, I don't know that I knew it was so long. Yeah. Okay. So, and what, when did you, why did you wind up here? Well, I... My family moved from Monrovia in 1962. We built a thoroughbred breeding farm off of uh, uh, Vineyard Drive. It's mm-hmm. now known as Oak Country Ranch. And that we did in 62. I went to Templeton High School and so forth. Yeah. Okay. And Barbara, how did you, how did you two meet? We were introduced by uh, friends. It was kind of a blind date. Uh, Bill was friends with the wife of the couple. I was friends with the husband that I worked with in the studios in L.A. And this was Christmas time of 89. Okay. And so I was, quote, looking for my spinster retirement home. Um, and that changed within two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> she had moved into her spinster retirement home about a mile and a half off of Rocky Road, which is off of Cripple Creek, only to the southwest of us. That's and hard to believe that that's what you were planning on doing, and then you wound up... Yeah. Working 11, your tail off. Day, yeah, 11 days after we met, we gave a, a Christmas party 
uh, at the other place for 30 people. Oh my gosh, and cooking for everybody. And still we're speaking. So, hmm, this, mm-hmm. is, this seems to be working. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And when you say in the studios, you're playing music. Yes, I was a cellist in the studios doing uh, movie and television scores. Yeah. Do you still do that? No, I don't do that anymore. I quit in 95, totally quit playing for about 15 years, uh, and then started teaching, and that gradually brought me back to playing. And now I play basically full time as well as farming full time. Here, I'm going to move this real quick. Equally, equally yeah. close. So wait a minute, you're, I didn't realize you were playing full time. Yeah, it kind of snuck up on me. <laughs> yeah, so you're playing with, I know, Slow Symphony. Slow Symphony, I teach at Cal Poly, uh, adjunct for cello instruction, and we started a cello ensemble last year. So that and some other community orchestras in the county, it's, uh, yeah, it, it adds up, yeah. But it's been a really fun thing to do to come back to. I bet it has. Oh my gosh. I, I teach adjunct at Cal Poly and um, it's a black hole of uh, of work for me. <laughs> so I can't imagine how you're doing all of those things. Well, everybody helps out so I can. Yeah. How many people do you employ here on the farm? Uh, two full-time and two part-time. That's and that's kind of amazing that that's all you have actually for as much as well, you that's, produce. That's a very minimum. We're, we're kind of at that phase of our lives and our economics to be phasing down as slow as we can and working with some com- a consultant and our good friends and others to see how we can find the next generation mm-hmm. to become the progenitors of what Windrose Farm is. Yeah, and what it stands for, too. Correct. Yeah. I was going, I mean, I was going to ask you what's next for Windrose Farm. We may as well start there. I mean, what are you seeing? Well, we don't know we, exactly. We, we, were, we had a glorious trip last May and in the UK and came home to the rapid explosion of hotels and motels and the sort of the, the, the not-so-optimistic way we're, the North County is, is yeah. evolving. And it's like, well, let's just sell and go to Maine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have the only the most successful interns we've ever had have left here are farming in Maine. Really? It's a f- totally different ethos of got food and locality and so forth. And of course there's the lovely thing called winter where you don't farm and you can do something else. Yeah. So anyway, that didn't fit in our real moral sense, nor does it fit with the real estate market doesn't really think much of 50 acres and two mobile homes and a whole bunch of trees mm-hmm. <laughs> it's even though they're apple trees and even though it's yeah. productive and it has all these uh unique environmental characteristics it doesn't it isn't a mcmansion on top of a hill yeah yeah how many trees do you have now well in apples it's in the range of 1300 Holy and then tomato. there's a, a few hundred plums, prune, uh, plums and and uh, mis- mixed stone fruit as well as table grapes and a pantheon of of mixed growth, very diversified farm. Yeah, and that's that is one of the principles that has always been a, the bedrock of this right. place. And it's everything we read and know from all the other research. The more diversity you have, you have the all the beneficials you basically and and the and the non you know mm-hmm. there's a pretty quid pro quo but we're fortunate that it is uh, very self regulating there's never a huge bad bunch of bugs or because it's just 
there's not one thing growing here. There's a many, many things. Mm -hmm. And you've changed. I mean, I know that you're both ravenous readers. Um, and so you've probably tweaked and changed things as you go and, and learned your own lessons along the way. What's one of the biggest lessons you learned? Maybe the hard way. <laughs> well, well, the biggest lesson is when, particularly during the drought, we became an oasis. All oh, right. mammals come. And the two that are most uh, destructive, uh, one would be the cottontail rabbits. There's just thousands. Uh, but they're not really the worst. The worst are the ground squirrels because they literally go up in the trees and take the fruit. Mm. They burrow up giant holes and so forth. Uh, ironically, they, the animals that prey on uh, rabbits and ground squirrels, the coyotes are one, but we also have badger. Mm. And I don't know, there's some black bears that now are in the neighborhood. So we have no idea what um, good things come from, you know, nature is going to find a way to figure it out. Yeah, but it's interesting that they're coming here because, well, because things are going well here and because yeah. you've stabilized. Black bears probably from the fire a few years back that yeah. kind of ushered them out of the forest above San Luis and San Lucia's. Uh, and they found a, a small habitat here, at least a couple. We don't know. It's not a, a big bunch. And yeah. they like groundfall apples, and they're not very destructive. So they haven't done any harm per se. Um, you have been, I mean, actively producing since 1990? Or well, when did it really kick off? Well, we started very slowly. Barbara was, well, first of all, she still had her Spencer retirement home on a <laughs> with a mortgage i love that that's the official name yeah. and, and she also had her had this one and as i was in a separation and we we this fell in because i was doing real estate hadn't looked at it, it fell out of escrow and it became available and told barbara if you really want to grow things and vice versa that's a real farm the water is completely different, just from a mile and a half away, totally different water, different aquifer, different soil types, different soil profiles. And the farm just has a whole series of minor to major miracles. So I was, I had an RD4 tractor, which is a 1936 Caterpillar diesel, a disc and a cultivator that uh, I was just managing old remnant weeds and going around in circles and making patterns. And because the hill goes up so steeply, I could, we could take pictures and it looks like a can, a, an aerial photograph, but it's not. And Barbara was uh, very fortuitous in that she was in the studios by day and then a f agent called her or somebody called, you tell yeah, the contractor. Yeah, we were sitting there at the other place and thinking about, oh, how are we gonna do this? And, um, just, uh, literally, it's like one of those Benjamin Button type stories. The phone rings, and it's a contractor for the fan orchestra for Phantom of the Opera at oh, the Amundsen. Yeah, yeah. And he said he needed someone to sub uh, cello uh, chair weeknights, which is unusual because you usually think you're going to sub, you're going to fill in on weekends, yeah. not not on weeknights. And that was it. That was the way mm. we could do it. Wow. It was just one of those just spooky hooey wooey things and so therefore we were able to to do this and then the funny thing happened even second hooey wooey part was that uh when we went to finally look at the papers to make the offer for the property um the other agent opened up the folder and it was a picture of a place 
this, the picture for this was the picture I'd seen the very first day I came up to look at property and went, oh, well, that would be perfect, but oh that just gosh. cost too much. Yeah. And it was crazy because it was the same place, and I had no idea. Had it fallen out of escrow or yes, something? Yes, it had fallen out, and it actually already had been in escrow at that point, so it wasn't available then, even though it was still in the book. But it was, it became available, and as I say, I had no idea. We were all the way through the whole process and getting ready to sign papers mm-hmm. when I found out it was the same property that I'd seen the first day all, almost a year before. That's incredible. It Destiny. Very, yeah, it was very much like, okay, this is, this is supposed to happen. Were yeah. you both on board? I mean, who was the one who was more spearheading the idea that would be <laughs> the finger of yeah, a barbara oh was that a, that was a barbara thing that was a barbara thing yes. oh i no, thought I you was, were about to point it no it, it actually tell, tell when you brought your dad over oh yeah so and on a 108 degree june day and this was scorched earth there was a single wide mobile home uh what is that that was here as a garage and a and a tack room and a pump pump room that was there all asphalt signals all odd colors of course the big three big oak trees Mm -hmm. uh cottonwoods and a whole bunch of eucalyptus that were most gone by now and was it a working was it producing something yes he invested a great deal of money in one crop baby's breath 20 acres of baby's breath wow which is why he lost it baby's breath I don't even think I've heard the words baby's breath in like, I don't know. I don't think they even use it that much anymore. It was with... It the, was a the, thing, the, though. The, the dozen roses, roses always has a little sprig of baby breath. <laughs> yes. We calculated several hundred million dozen roses he had a baby's breath from oh without a marketing God. strategy. So anyway, wow. yeah, it it, uh, it needed to be sold. But it was yeah. a monocrop. It had uh, herbicide sections. In fact, where all the greenhouses are <laughs> and all the greens that we sell at market. It took Bill over six years to bring it back from having herbicides in it, and so he would like, we would he would have them just kind of sheet spread uh, horse manure. Mm-hmm. He would turn it in, plant a cover crop, it would come up yellow. He'd turn it under. I mean, it took six years for that to change. What does it mean when it comes up yellow? It means the herbicide they were using oh. was a a soil a soil sterilant, which is what they. PG&E uses underneath their power poles or has they've gotten away from that because you can tell them not to do that and they have to keep the weeds away by hand yeah anyway um it it was just a a, a work in process yeah and so we didn't really start I mean it, it took I mean the whole place wasn't like that but that was just an example of one area that needed a lot of TLC and caring and um so it took a few years before we were even going to grow anything and so it wasn't until after 95 that we really started uh, paying attention and trying to plant out more of the farm. What's one of the first things you planted? And did you always do, you did permaculture from the beginning, I would yeah, guess, Yeah, we right? did that from the beginning. Uh, the first crops actually were garlic and potatoes and tomatoes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the Hortus Nursery, and who, who Gary, who owned it, um, oh, gave her a couple tomatoes. flats of heirloom tomatoes that were, wouldn't sell because they were out overgrown. And that's when we got the first of the heirloom tomatoes. And that's something that you've really hung your hat on all along. Yeah. 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 How and many different varieties do you have coming up this we year? We usually do about 40. Yeah. So there's at least 10 or 15 cherries, so we make a good mix of cherries, and then a salad size, and then a slicer. 
And then you have the heirloom fest. I mean, the, the tomato fest. Is that happening again this year? Yes. Okay, good. And what do you have planned for that? Don't know yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it August or September? It's September. It's okay. the third weekend in September. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we have to start figuring that one out this year. That's a ways away. It's kind of <laughs> no, unfair really, to ask. It, no, it's because we bring a chef up for the Sunday night dinner yeah. uh, from, from L.A. And so um, about now is when we start thinking about how we want to do it. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a good reminder. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm happy to push you. Yeah. Who have you had up in the past to do that? Oh, let's see. Uh, we've had Evan Funky. Uh, (sighs) we've had David Wilcox. Octavio. Octavio. Yeah. And, um, and Daniel, Daniel Mattern and his, and Roxanne have come up and they have a really wonderful place called Friends and Family that's a like a more family oriented restaurant yeah kitchen uh, lunch uh, breakfast lunch and now that is so big right now yeah. that yeah. like a kitchenette kind of a thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so and, and a lot of box stuff they they do you know pre and then a lot of special you know seasonally based pastries and yes yeah, she's dishes. fabulous she's she's Pastry. a world-class so pastry. and from here we had tim veach and then julie simon did one of the really fun ones that we had a couple of years ago i believe it what yeah. did she serve that was she always has a, a, a fun twist on yeah, something. Yeah, she kind of took a kind of a Southwest Latin kind of feel to all the seasonings and things, so it, it worked out really, really well. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys cook for that ever? Your no, own we stuff? we chop. <laughs> you chop, yeah. We chop, we do, we do the table. Well, we, <laughs> we, do like this, we do the salsa, the guacamole. and yeah. For the Saturday thing. For yeah, the, that's the do, tasting. We do things for the, for the Saturday tasting. We do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I'm just realizing somebody who's listening may not know what tomato fest. Do you call it tomato fest? What do you call it? Yeah, that works. I always think of it as that. Yeah. Um, what does it so it's, entail? It's, it's a two-day event, and we do it again the third week in September. And it's, uh, the Saturday is like a family event, uh, with tables laid out with all the different tomatoes cut up to taste and then certain bites to eat. Uh, Templeton Hills comes and does their sliders. We usually have some gelato from Leo Leo and, you know, local people come and bring Mm -hmm. things. Uh, Chris from Fig usually has something. And so they get bites of things that are made with the tomatoes. Yeah. And then the Sunday becomes the... The for us the the actually the most fun part is the big dinner because we really like to eat well. Yes. And Allie from Fifteen Degrees does the wine pairings and she just does an amazing job. She's, She's like a four or five course meal, and it's it's really fun. And we just set out on the lawn and it's mm-hmm. uh, long the long table. Lovely. Thing. Yeah. The good life. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> and it sounds reminiscent of your first dinner party. It is very yeah. much so. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, when you talk about, you know, the early days, what were some of the things that you learned early on about, I don't know, you had this idea of what you wanted to do. Did it, did it come out in practice? Well, I think in some ways we're kind of like accidental farmers because we didn't really have that serious of plan. So things just kind of evolved and showed up and like like we never in 95 said okay we're going to be smoking jalapenos and tomatoes and make these chipotles and smoke tomatoes and smoke garlic that people just love to have and that bill would make these incredible this incredible smoker and then build colossus which is this giant brazier no none of that was Mm. in the the picture the background, to some degree, is Barbara's career for the most of her life mm. as a contract musician. 
because if you see the uh, the Netflix uh, uh, the Wrecking Crew documentary, oh, about which, the which session is, band, yeah, band, the yeah. session bands. So one of the fundamentals as a musician, somebody calls you and says, "I need you for to sit in and play," and it's in an hour. You never say the two-letter word, which is a Z and a zero. The Z's on its side. No. <laughs> chefs it's like Macbeth. Come, you can't chef, even bear to say it. Chefs will come from some great trip anywhere in the world and have a sequestered, secret, illegally brought in stash of, of seeds, being tomatoes not, not drugs, or peppers, <laughs> or but seeds. You know, They're not going to go to jail, but you're not yeah. supposed to be moving like that. And, and we would grow them out and they would say I'll buy all you want. Anyway, we we tend to easily get swayed by what creative other creative people envision and are wrapped up in that. So we grow all kinds of unique things. The the smoker comes from my family. In other words, it's a fusion of Barbara's grandparents were Pennsylvania farmers, you mm-hmm. know, because traditional as this country used to be dominated by farmers, you know. Yeah. Uh, and in my my dad one of the great stories, he was building his first, it's a Chinese style off, the firebox is off and the heat and the smoke comes down and then up through a cooking area. Mm-hmm. So he's on a Sunday and he's a surgeon by practice. He's Your dad. To, yeah. Yeah. And a horseman and this and that. So he was building this brick in chimney part. And he, um, he got up and he, my mom would bring him, you know, lunch and a beer and whatever. And he'd just keep working. Finally, uh, we, we, didn't want to pay any attention. He's out there laying bricks. And I hear this plaintive call. He realized he had no way to get out. Oh, my God. He, he was literally built had into bricked it. his way around all four sides. No way to get out. And so my mom had to get, we had this little little tiny farmall cub, which he had a little loader on it. So she had to drive it over him, and he had to hang on the bucket and be raised out of his his, oh. his smokehouse. All ideas, maybe not so much practicality on that part. Right. A little, a little minor, cause, or he could just sit there till the concrete cured. <laughs> <laughs> and climb. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Well, Colossus is quite a figure out there. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah, yeah the, a, the, the, a lot of chefs wanted one for Christmas. Yeah. Well, we build one. Yeah. Yeah, right. Did that once. Yeah. Yeah, I think coming back to um, something you had asked about, what have we learned? What what has evolved? Mm -hmm. And just like the smoking, the smoking the Chipotles came from a friend who's a a food writer in San Francisco and said, oh, you grow jalapenos, so so do you do Chipotles? And we had no idea what a Chipotle even was at that point. Jackie Jackie McMahon, Hygera McMahon. Cookbook writer. Hygera McMahon. Yeah, yeah, she was from the Hygera old old, old family. Old um, California Spanish. And we met by accident at a a Mozart festival dinner. But, I mean, that's just how fluky everything has been. Everything is so off off the the rails kind of like that Mm. and the smoking tomatoes came from she wrote another cookbook and in the back under the list of sources she listed us and said that we did smoke dried roma tomatoes and it was like no we don't (laughs) but now you have i guess we do i guess we do do smoked tomatoes now and they're probably the best selling thing of all even more than the chipotles yeah so as as far as the smoke products so uh, and the garlic was because we had a bunch of small heads one year, and that seemed one w- way to do something with them is throw the the heads in the smoker. 
But as far as like Bill talking about the the chefs coming with, oh, will you grow this? Will you do this? Will you do that? The interesting thing about it was that we evolved into having a sense of what grows well in this climate. We don't look at particularly American seed catalogs. I look at European ones. I look at things like if you if you draw a line around the, the globe as to where we are, uh, what fits. And that's southern France, northern mm-hmm. Italy, parts of Asia, and particularly the, the French and Italian things, things like the Segretti, which is a almost a succulent. And it's a, what is that? It's a weird little green... It's a succulent, but it looks like little grass yeah. or long grass. And it's very salty. It's very full of minerals. And it's used on fish. It can be used in salad, and it's it's a very seasonal thing. It runs about a month, and it will. All, and the seed actually dies out in six months, so you can't even save seed except from the crop you're growing for that year. Does it behave like an herb, or does it behave like it's a, a little plant? I mean, it can grow. Some people grow it in a really long, so that the shoots and the little little grassy pieces are like eight to 10 inches long. We do it in nursery boxes in the house. Uh-huh. And at this point, and um, so they're little, little clumpy, little clumpy hand, little frondy clumpy things. And you, have you been <laughs> cooking horrible. with them? We do, but you don't really cook, cook. You actually just heat them. So they mm. just slightly wilt. Or like last night, it was a salad of mixed lettuce um, and the agretti, which looks so pretty with it because you have little round pieces of lettuce and got yeah. these little skinny things of agretti. But what it did, it made us realize that all these, because we have the kind of soil and water we do, there are certain types of the, of the European greens and things that really, really like being here. Mm. So that we were growing, we end up growing a different set of things than just a normal farm would. Yeah. And the Gretti is an example of it. And it just does really, really well with the water and everything else and sorrel and other things. So that's part of the permaculture thing because yeah. a lot of the things like that, like the rustic arugulas and things, they actually will sell seed if you have a proper place for them. Mm-hmm. So part of the thing is making use of space under some of the small orchard sections to grow herbs and some of the greens there that are kind of self-tending some of the herbs like lemon balm and things that come back and are happy living in a partially shaded area gets them through the heat in the summer yeah as opposed to out in the middle of the field they'd be miserable but you just tuck them in these slightly sheltered spaces and give them a little moistening every once in a while extra and they make it through all the heat and everything else just fine and Actually, the other weird thing of our temperature variations here, where we get so hot and it's cold, so wide, yeah. And again, we're seven. We'll be in the seventies today. But we were what thirty-three this morning. Yes, so, and so wide. They love it. Yeah, it actually brings up the sugars. It makes melons better, onions better. We were picking out picking pea shoots at seven this morning because the sugars are so high when there's dew. Yeah. Do you need to get that? Yeah. Let me okay. Get, let me get it. Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that's, it's, again, led us along to what does the best here. And the plums, it was like Neil Collins from Trees of Antiquity says, you know, you guys should really do plums there. So we put in a whole bunch of Santa Roses and they're spectacular Mm. because again, the alkaline soil actually helps with the sugars and things in it. So the flavors are crazy. You have high alkaline soil here? Yeah, we do. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah. And it works out really, really well. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like, I mean, first of all, your inquisitiveness, your 
curiosity about these things. I mean, it would be so much easier just to American seed catalog, right? I yeah, mean, it would be easier. Yeah. And, but again, and part of the, another thing that happened was when we first went to market, we were in Templeton market and our partner next door was Jody Shannon, who had with her husband, a little, a retirement business in their basically large backyard. It was what half an acre to an half, acre. Yeah, a little and over they half decided mm-hmm. to start a little business doing lettuces and salad mix. They were the first person in Templeton with bagged lettuce and they made a mescaline with arugula and lettuce mm-hmm. and, um, just really nice people, friendly people. And it's like, there's two approaches. You can go in and you can kind of cherry pick everybody's best stuff and grow that. And you can do this other attitude, which is here's Jody with this on her table. And we're just trying to figure out what we're doing. So why don't we do things that compliment her? Yeah. So people come down the road, they'll buy her stuff and then they'll buy the baby kale and the other greens that we had to go in the mix with, with Jody's uh, salad. So it's, a, I mean, it it's a, a puzzle. Yes. Perfect word. I mean, complimentary. Yes. And also, um, I'm just thinking about how you have been wise to stand on the shoulders of both, you know, places with the same, I don't know, latitude and longitude, but at least the same kind of growing conditions, yeah. not reinventing the wheel, but going, you know, maybe bringing going some of that wisdom here. Yeah. yeah going the, the chefs that we've, service so much mm-hmm. come back with experiences all over the world and will identify the flavors they found in the herbs and the other things that grow here just because of the nature of our climate mm-hmm. and that's what makes them uh, des- demand and want for their special occasions and or regular occasions um, those herbs from here as the season allows. Yeah. We do a lot of repurposing and we're doing a lot of things, but we're um, not able to have enough staff to do all the things that we would like to do as well as they need to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well but that's, that's farming. I mean, there's, there's always a joke like, have you gotten everything done? No. Cause there's always a list that's longer than anything you possibly could do. Yeah. And I think we have this whole other weird thing that even if you did get your list done, you would invent something else to go on the list. Just, yeah. Just to kind of keep, keep filling in. Yeah. Yes. The chefs, um, the funny thing about the chefs is they, they actually can identify what farm certain things come from you could line up three of something and they will say well this came from james birch this came from windrose this came from coleman's farm because really? they're all slightly different in flavor and texture and how they're handled and everything else mm-hmm. and so it, they really are able to they, they can tell that subtly uh, and again the answer to the question about why we deal with chefs can I tell a story about Mary Sue Millican and Sue? Oh, sure. Okay, mm-hmm. so way back in the beginning, we went to a small conference down in San Diego, that one, right? Or Ventura? I thought it was Ventura, but... And so it's a fall event, really nice thing put on actually by part of the state. And um, one of the speakers, one of the panels was on selling to restaurants because we had not figured out what we were going to do. We were going to do markets, we were going to do CSA, or we were going to do... Oh, it just to, to set it up. It was mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. There was a, uh, a program started called the Chef's Collaborative 2000. So that at the, at the end of the century, they wanted to have an increase in the number of local per- farmers providing to different restaurants. And it started in the East Coast. And they 
were the kind of the spearhead in Los Angeles yeah. and mm-hmm. trying to encourage farmers to become part of their food uh, supply and the part of the through line correct yeah, yeah so, okay uh, uh, that at that point, Alice Waters was already buying things for Chez Panisse, but it really hadn't started happening down here. And so, again, Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger, who had at that point they had, I think it was city city restaurant on La Brea, and so they were, came to try and convince people that this would be a really good idea, and they wanted to encourage farmers to do that. So, we like to eat really well, mm-hmm. and so this was like. I mean, it was like, for me, it was hearing some really fabulous violinist or cello. I was so excited. I was like goosebumps. This is it. This is what we want to do. And poor Billy has to hear this afterward because you were off doing something else. I said, no, oh, I would were you there? You. Okay. Yeah, you saw me jumping up and down. Oh, yeah. She was yeah. like, I was we're, like she, she's like at a rock concert. I mean, it was, she, she didn't it. unclothe herself, but she was getting close. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we went up and talked to him and they said, sure, bring stuff by that you have. And again, this is, we were minimalist doing this was back in the basic days. Barbara had a, a, a four-door Mercedes diesel, nineteen late seventy. It's still out there, isn't it? Am I looking? No, at that's, that's, an that's 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 an eighty-five. Door. That's okay. a two-door. But this one, and she would have in the trunk her cello plus a few flats of heirloom tomatoes and some herbs and whatever we had a she big could trunk, throw in. Big trunk. Yeah. yeah so we, we would yeah. go do do this before we went to work, and I was like, really, uh, thinking back, <laughs> whoa, and so. Um, but we were the only people out of that room full of 40 to 50 at least, yeah, yeah. if Somewhere not around more. 40 plus farmers who do farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. Who, didn't, who just didn't ever call them back up again. We were the only ones. Who didn't call who back up? They uh, didn't. Mary Sue. They didn't, oh, they, didn't to... con- they didn't reach out. They just went, like you said, no, too much of a problem, won't do it, won't go I in see. there. Well, we asked them, why don't you want to sell to a restaurant? And they said, oh, receivables. We, we, we don't want to have receivables. We, we're a cash and carry business. And we're going, they just send you money, you know. And yeah, they do, right. and it has evolved into being paid when you deliver. So mm-hmm. in most cases, so it's all fine. But so um, we basically evolved from selling to them. And it was one of those things, just word of mouth. They said, why don't you call so-and-so? So we called so-and-so chef and brought them samples. And they were really excited. And then... A few months down the road, like when we were really hitting tomatoes, it was like, and we were delivering to LA just to a couple of restaurants. We and not doing down, market. Not doing the market down okay. there at all. We were doing some up here and that, and that, but it just kind of kept going. And then it got to the point where if you go ahead and, and Bill had met the manager of the last, of the Santa Monica market. And so we were able to get into the market and therefore by that time it had evolved, the chefs were actually coming to the market and the brokers were coming to the market. So instead of having to drive all around, you just, you have to get up earlier, but yeah. it's a one-stop shop kind of thing. And so basically out of what we do, 75% of everything is pre-sold and yeah. is going to brokers and chefs. And then other guys come and either add on or just buy from the table itself. So we pretty much run that 75% of the truck goes to chefs and brokers. It's already spoken for. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, the evolution um, of the farm and its marketing started with the Templeton Farmer's Market. Mm. And it was within a very short period of time, maybe two months or three, that we were at the market. And another farmer, who was an interesting character who will remain nameless, yes. uh, 
found out going to the board meeting of then this old timers little board of directors of the of the North County Farmers Market Association had five certified farmers markets and and they were at the end of the year they had garnered all this cash and this is a mutual benefit nonprofit corporation the usual sense would be you're going to do promotions you do this and that they sat around the table with other members witnessing and said who's your favorite uh, uh, charity and they would start just doling out the cash to different mm-hmm. charities which is nice yeah. it's not mutually or self it's not improving the market so there was a hostile takeover of the North County Farmers Market Association, which actually ended up working. Mm, mm-hmm. And somehow I got involved with that and, <laughs> and gotten to be the chairman. And we had to rewrite the bylaws. And then um, uh, Jack and Jane Gibson, who created the, the, uh, their own market in Cambria. Yeah. And their son, Bruce, is in the... That's you, right. I've spoken know. with him. The Friday... Market. Right, yeah. the Friday market, and long and short of it, here I am. We're doing market, and I started doing market with there, and Barbara was there and doing that while I was, you know, diff- we we split the the workload. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jack encouraged me because the certified farmers market law was sunsetting as of two thousand. It was going to simply go away, mm-hmm. uh, and there were lots of flaws. And anyway, he invite he had asked me to apply for, and I. Would, I did it uh, being a member of the advisory committee that was going to help shepherd the new law into some functionality. Mm. Long and short of the story is out of, for some reason, I got accepted. Yeah. And so that meant going to Sacramento for no money yeah. once a month or L.A. for no money. But that's how we met bigger market managers yes. and became to ha- have a rapport there. By the time we started doing more and more business at Santa Monica, we were just asked to sell tomato plants only and seasonally. And we were doing nine markets a week with oh employees and trucks and so forth and just realizing that, one, the farm isn't really representative. You've got nice young people doing whatever they can, but and it's also basically a money loser. Yeah. So that was the genesis of meeting L.A. chefs. One of the things that would happen... Uh, Suzanne and Mary Sue would tell Barbara, well, go talk to Octavio. He works for Plushlim. Plushal at Patina. At mm, Patina. Yes. And he would have all these sous chefs that come out to her car in the afternoon. She'd get there somewhere right before service, you know, magically. And they would, they, few of the tomatoes actually got into the kitchen because mm-hmm. they're just sampling and having too much fun. And then they would, when she had extra time, they'd drag her in and say, you sit here in the kitchen. And she, they would start, this is how we do this on, with your, your this or your that. Whatever she brought, they would instantaneously create a, a dish for her to sample. Wow. So, so she's, wow. And she, from that day on, she's the goddess to the sous chefs because they all evolved to other restaurants. Yes. And they therefore followed up seeking out Windrose Farm product. The biggest full story, because our escape, because in California you farm 24-7, mm, right. and our escape, I have a cousin in upstate New York, we would get a red eye. First we go to one of the restaurants that we supply in L.A., get a red, and have dinner and take takeout because rest, you know, airplane food is wonderful. Yeah, no, it's delicious. And, and, and <laughs> so uh, we would go to Boston and get a and b and just sort of park ourselves and rest. Yeah. And then just go to different restaurants we've heard about and this and that. And so we'd done this a couple of years. And so we're this hotel. Yeah, the Essex 
Lydia, the Essex. Lydia Shire's restaurant. Yeah, and you go down. In New York City. No, no, this is in Boston. Oh, okay, okay. They, anyway, so we're, our deal was to get to the bar and kind of eat at the bar. Oh, you yes. see more, little samples. And we're waiting for the bar to open up because it was a, f- whatever, it was a busy Thursday night because it was, that was the night we, yeah, it was also a, a, a industry night. Oh, uh, yeah. All of a sudden, this voice, loud lady's voice, starts screaming, Barbara, yelling for Barbara. We're in Boston. Yeah. And is it a, an now? old sous chef that had moved? This is, a, this is a server that was, had gone, had been in L.A., had known Barbara, and there she was there. So all of a sudden, we meet the chef and so forth, and they start doing their thing, which means little tidbits and a half pour or a quarter pour of wine <sighs> to go with whatever the tidbits You can are. live off of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then we get through this, and we're just, and this is, we're, we just did the red eye. We had no, we slept a little in the daytime and went out. Then they say, it's industry night. We just opened a tapas bar up on the north side of Boston. We want you to go there. So we get in the tap. Fools, we went. Like, we went. Of course, they got these hard-ass drinks and, and all this hand food. But long and short of it is, this one is just known by chefs everywhere. I mean, she, yeah. if if she has more boyfriends and girlfriends than <laughs> anybody in the bids. Okay, and this now bringing this back, bringing this back again is talking about Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew, yeah. thing is. Oh yeah, where'd that go? Okay, that went away, but it's back. It's back now. <laughs> so the Wrecking Crew, those are guys I worked with all the time. Oh really? And so am um, I remembering the it, the bass player was a woman? Yeah, right? well, she oh, Carol Kay. She was that's it. She had Carol pretty Kay. much retired by the time I moved. Delhi and started doing studio stuff, but Tommy Tedesco was around the the father of the man who made the movie, yeah. and a lot of those guys. And they were. It was like my joke was like, tell Bill, I just you know I just did a session, and there's Tommy, and there's Shelley Mann, and then they give me money, you know, for mm-hmm. listening to these guys play. It was crazy. So wow. um, a consultant. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, just Jeez. the idea that. Play. That I get to listen to them play, yeah. These incredible people that are working in the studios, and and they also pay me to do it, yeah. So it's like, this is a really good deal. And but anyway, mm-hmm. so the thing about the Wrecking Crew again is what Bill understood finally that you don't say no, you d- just what the approach is to that business. And I think the thing that made a difference was the fact that compared to a farmer who's a farmer, nothing against who they are and how they look at the world. My world as having been a musician is the same viewpoint that a chef has. You're only as good as your last meal. You're only as good as how you played on your last session and just how that whole thing rolls as far as what you have to do and the intensity of the job. And because I had been in a business that was exactly the same they sense that I understand where they're coming from just because I inadvertently have the same kind of perspective on the world and how things go. Yes. So that is, is where the connection comes from. I could see that being very beneficial. And it was just, and it just one of those things you you don't plot it. It just, just like everything else with windrows, it just is the kind of thing that just happened to be yeah. in the set of circumstances. Yeah. And so it was a combination of all that that makes the working with the chefs for us be just the perfect the perfect match and perfect blend. Yeah. yeah. I know um I know how strongly you feel about permaculture about um 
again, kind of standing on the shoulders of, of those who have gone before and, and the importance of the American farm that has all but disappeared. What are you, what, what's kind of your bailiwick right now? What's the thing that you feel very passionate about right now? No, I think Bill and I both are in this position where we are, every day we say our prayers that this farm becomes maintained as something similar to what it is, a sustainable uh, food, something that makes food, also welcomes people. Yes. And just, it can, nobody, you can't ever expect the next generation to be the same as the generation, as what we're doing. But I think the basic principles can be passed on and we would, you know, just as much as possible to have it include education, all sorts of stuff. So we're just kind of running around their fingers crossed. Yeah. The, the passion that Barbara expresses clearly coming from the studio, coming from you always say, yes, I'll do it all we can and, and get things done. I mean, this is just part of who this farm has become. We, we have no real knowledge of where profit is or isn't. It's guessing by gosh. Mm-hmm. What has to happen now since there's not some, you know, the farm's free and clear, but we don't have, there's not a lot of capital to carry more labor that would be desirable is that we generate interest in partnering with a management team that ha- holds the same philosophy but also can get an actual cost accounting system up and running mm-hmm. really start paying attention to the things that should be the carriers of cash flow meaning profit i.e. 45 kinds of apples really properly maintained and and taken care of and marketed both direct sales and some wholesale because there's a lot of apples. Yeah. Um, the cider industry wants to pay you 10 cents a pound and, and that's just, you know, not going to work. Yeah. But we need to then just get some primary annual crops that are going to be standard and in far more orderly manner, better management and better, you know, ways of doing things disciplined so that it will pay for the cost of going forward. Yeah. And that's the benefit to the community and so forth. Yeah. More the, regularized. The regularized. Suppose, yeah. and, and the fact is the vast majority of white tablecloth is somewhere where there's a lot of disposable income and mm-hmm. that's in the cities. Yes. That is hard. I will, I will say being far from major cosmopolitan areas is it's a blessing and it's also really challenging. I mean, for, for a a food writer, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at the same parties that these people are at. And a lot of the deals get closed at parties. I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough, but I also wouldn't do it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, basically, yes, I'm very passionate about what I do and I have no filter. Therefore, I am. We've always needed a filter person because I am. <laughs> Where's your filter person? I don't know. I, we 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 may have one. We're the fingers, fingers. He's the enabler. <laughs> we need the filter person. So, um, uh, kind of the joke is, well, we've built a farm. Now it's somebody who's going to come and farm the farm, yeah. kind of thing. So, um, yeah. So it's it's hard to admit that one doesn't have all the skill set necessary to do this in the best possible way. So, we're hoping the next. And we and it's kind of gotten interesting right now. This this week in the next two weeks, we don't want to mention names or anything else. Mm-hmm. But we, I mean, things are suddenly we're getting phone calls, we're getting conversations with people. 
emails about things and an incredible amount of support in helping us work through this this stage because again i mean i will farm till i fall over good but i'm also at a stage where i would like to be able to say to bill let's get in the car and go to the beach we can't because that can't happen it doesn't happen and particularly with the cow poly with the music on top of it it doesn't happen and it's time that was again circling back the trip last spring we keep we're getting we get back to all the points you <laughs> we're gonna up. get them yeah. we're gonna get them all nailed because the <laughs> thing about the trip was we had such a good time together mm-hmm. which is really fabulous yeah it was like no that was nice i don't want to do that again it's been swell knowing you all these so many years but it was the opposite it was like let's do more of this so mm-hmm. even if we were z- you know, doing magnificently in all those other filter areas, it's still time because we want to do some different things. I want to finish the gardens. Bill wants to do other stuff. And we just need to be able to move on and feel safe about what's going to happen in the farm. I mean, yes. So that was when the let's move to Belfast, Maine went out the window. It was like, no, that's not going to happen because we need to be sure that this is safe and secure. I'm very encouraged. I mean, I, I agree with you completely that it it could be, it might be very likely that if you were to take a trip like that, you'd look at each other and say, shoot, there's nothing left to talk about. We've been working so hard and there may be nothing left, but I love that you had this great time. It was like reconnecting. I My husband and I have talked about having small children. Um, it was really hard at the beginning because I felt like these vows that we spoke to one another were they strong enough to carry us through this? And it turns out they have been. Um, and uh, yeah, I was. one of my questions was going to be, what's it been like working together? Um, Only great. Can, no, it's, it's, no, no, it, it's, hard. it's yes, very hard. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's things that go on that are, that I just can't look at, that are just inherently awfully inefficient. Yeah. Uh, we do things to the max, very, very detail-oriented, very, very high-quality-oriented, which has zero return other than gratification, Yes, which yes. is the other part of it. And that's what the more you read about how we as a species survived at our very best was when we had the greatest amount of interrelationship with the citizen, the community you live with and in. And that's been filtered away unfortunately in the vast majority I, you know there's anyway I go on in a lot of reading details that are going on that are parts of the world where yes they're getting very technical in the Netherlands they're producing huge amounts of things in very complex very computer generated uh, greenhouses and so forth they keep their farmers involved and in small entities they do not make it into some giant thing because no matter how much technology you throw at agriculture you still have to have human beings in the mix and they understand they're not going to get rid of their smallish farmers they simply will not go into ever bigger farms which is what's happened in our country but you're saying that even though but still at the same time they become more sophisticated without losing that correct they've kept those values that was what's so rewarding in in seeing the uk the giant tractors that cost 
half million dollars that you see around here and sitting so much of the time. In the UK, they become tractors pulling trailers delivering produce or rock or whatever. They're multi-use tractors. Same ones that John Deere built. They're modified to be much different over there. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, when they, the when they, when they're all right on the highway, yeah, going 60 right. miles an hour, the same basic piece of equipment, but they're only, you know, they're short hauls, you know, 40, 50 miles. Long and short of it is when they need housing, they don't take a hundred acres and make 400 houses. They'll take the worst mm-hmm. land of the piece and build 20 houses all in a row on a roadway. So the farm stays farming and farmable. Yeah, it's a whole different, whole different um, version of land use. So that it was just beautiful because we would go to stay in, because we stayed in the country as much as possible outside of th- cities and stuff. And they were. They actually set it up so that the road easement was where the development was. Yeah. So the person who has to commute or do things has their third to an acre or something like that, Mm -hmm. and all the rest of the farm stays. So you could create all this income by selling your road frontage for dwellings. And it was like this is – it was one of those duh moments of how logical that is. Did you just notice that, or was that something that someone talked to you about? No, we just – we figured it out, kind of went, oh, wait a minute. That must be the way this is set up. And Mm -hmm. the one time we were staying with that – that guy he explained yes this is how it works Mm -hmm. because they were it was one of these areas so instead of building a a rectangular subdivision they just take the frontage Mm -hmm. so the farm still has all the privacy everything else it had before and it has money now because it's been able to sell to people who are either working from home or able to commute because of trains and stuff Mm. and And then not live in the the city corner the one that they never wanted to farm anyway yeah So how do you see the contrast here? I mean, how would you describe? Go ahead, describe the worst of the worst. And what do you see that's in contrast to that? Well, again, our problem is we don't have the rainfall and we're not an evergreen state. This is a near desert or desert climate. The pastoral's groundwater aquifer, which overrides two other aquifers, both of which are poisonous, has been drained yeah. It's way in overdraft, and we're in denial. Well, and we shouldn't even be here, right? No. We're, we're way, way, way in, you know, we're bl- the... Not this the, many of us. The, <laughs> right, this, right. This water you're drinking mm-hmm. is from a very unique little aquifer that has not gone down at all in the near 30 years we've been here. So that hmm. I look at what's happening in Paso Robles, and I... You know, I could go on and on. I know. But well, I've had other un- guests that it's, had It's unfortunate. Said I could go on and on. <laughs> that, 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 that just an anecdotal current knowledge that hasn't come to roost yet is in a place um, in Monterey County called uh, Bryson Hesperia, where they went and built vineyards. The water was great, down to about 200 feet, 300 feet, and they ran that water out now, and they've gone to 600 feet. And what did they find at 600 feet? Passerable's wastewater, oh, full wow. of salt. Yeah. Well, that's forever done damage. Passerable's bears a serious amount of responsibility for that, and that will, that's hard to grow if you're causing yourself big mm. lawsuits that are going to be massive. Yes, that's such a huge topic right now. Anyway. It's such a huge, and I'm and I'm glad that it is. Honestly, I'm yeah. glad that people are thinking and talking about it. You know, I, I don't know how much wine we need, um, but mm. it's it's a fascinating phenomenon. It's a, a, a 
whatever. It's a mess. It's very, it's very complicated. Yes. Yeah. And it, and I think everybody on all sides would say, yes, it's probably a mess. Yeah. The, the simple form of saying, and it's interesting, is we. In other words, it's not me or you, it's we. We are just simply all the same species, every single one of us, mm-hmm. and we're going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And how that gets changed is going to be little groups simply insisting on change. So Windrose has great potential as an example of a small place where both great food is produced but sustainably and with a lot more consciousness because the, the technology's got to get to where we actually have electric tractors and, they, and we have we get off of petrochemicals as much as is humanly possible as fast as we can because without doing that uh, it could be a very short ride mm-hmm. let me ask you um what do you what is making you happy these days? I mean, what is what are some of the decisions in your lives that you feel the most gratitude for right now? Actually, probably at the moment is that we are not moving to Belfast, Maine tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. I, I think when, it, again, yes, we want to slow down and have another life, but I think the fact that we are both committed to what happens next with this farm and the fact that we are on the same page as opposed to other yeah. times when we were kind of farming two different farms. Um, <laughs> now we're not. Now we're more or less on the, in the same little cart. Yeah. And I think that's, that's huge. That, because, that, again, back to the trip that we took, it's we come back and say this is the part of our lives we haven't had when we were working like, like crazy Indians. And therefore... Being on the same page about this is just immensely huge. Yeah. And again, a spring like this, looking out those windows, looking yeah. at all those trees. Yeah. They're happy. They're Bill and I were so saying, I mean, happy. how I, the blossoms going crazy. Yeah. It's, I'm very grateful for that. Your turn. Yeah. It's, it is, it's hard because there's overwhelming amount of things that need to be done. And I'm still a, 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 a an enabler in some form of recovery. Um, but the, the when we first got back, we saw these, one, what was happening in Paso Robles, 12 more hotels for no particular good reason that I know of, and so forth and so forth. And it's like, okay, these prices are just beyond belief. We'll just leave and just enjoy the rest of our lives somewhere else. But, of course, when we actually did talk to realtors, and I think I, you know, this is 50 acres and, a, and adjoining 20 acres, uh, two separate parcels uh, joined along a border. They don't give any value for two mobile homes and a bunch of trees. So it didn't, it wasn't like this magic gold rush. We're going to have to then think about how do we, you know, avoid the, ten, the capital gains and yada, yada, yada. We, we brought back, summarily slammed back to Mother Earth and said, no, no, we built this for reasons that are far more important than economic. It's a social, moral, ethical commitment to a community that is, at this point, stuck in a very challenging economy you know how do you buy a house and live in san luis obispo if you're not either born rich or have a great job and even then now it's probably very very difficult it's a i will say for our part um we sacrifice a lot of things to do it um 
we own a home in Slow, and we live in 900 square feet. And, um, and But we make this conscious choice. We also do it for community. We live on a street that's incredible, that sees about nine total cars drive on it every day. It's this magical street that we wanted to live on, and when a house came up, we had to have a hard talk about, well, how much do we want that? Um, and we chose it. And I try really hard not to complain or think negatively about it because it was a decision that we made. But I am 100% with you. It is ludicrous how much we spend. Um, it's ludicrous how the value, I don't, it's, just, it's not inherent value. It's not intrinsic value. It's a supply and demand kind of value. And I don't, I don't love that. I know. And you're, yeah, we, see, we were very fortunate to have my parents' ranch. We finally sold the last piece to Doug and Sabrina Cruz, who, mm. who had subsequently have sold Jack Creek Cellars. Yeah. And they're basically mentoring that and so forth. That's, that's kind of the goal here, because yeah. with the 20 acres, we'd like to have a, a small, even possibly off-the-grid small home up on what it, we're calling a bare, bare, for, bare woods. Is that up on the hill? Or yeah, like- it's up on okay. the hill. Anyway, there's options, but it's a uh, it's phenomenal private and still be able to mentor and help if needed. Mm-hmm. But the, it's getting, we're at this point where we don't have a clear, it's like looking down the proverbial tunnel to try to see the light. Well, the tunnel has a few turns and you just get once in a while a little flash that something's down there that's going to be good. Yeah. And uh, what when that happens, it needs to be sooner rather than later. Our... Uh, ability to mentor and, and carry on. We're, we're doing this minimalist uh, down to two employees where we've had three and four or up to eight just because that's all that the farm will support right now. And uh, so the, the challenge is mentoring with and seeing. There, there's... Who knows? There may be a restaurant chain or a serious restaurant that wants to actually have their own farm-to-table yes. system. I thought about that, yeah. yeah. The, this county's restaurants have gone away because of the cost of real estate. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. other words, their square foot cost have just made it very, very brutal. Yeah. There's a handful that actually own their own real estate and are just fine, mm-hmm. but not many. Very, yeah. very few. Well, I mean, I can speak... As a person who loves stories and tries to tell stories, good ones, um, I love people who take a risk, especially people who take a risk for the benefit of their community. So you're mm-hmm. stars in my mm-hmm. book. <laughs> yes, I really, I do. Yeah, and I didn't complete the story. Please. So when we sold that, we garnered. My sister got half and I got half. And so we went, I went to the bank with a cashier's check to the farm credit people. I'm here to pay off the note. Mm. And this very sweet, nice young lady says, are you really sure you want to do that? Really? <laughs> like, and I said, I didn't say anything bad to her. I just looked at her with this really bizarre expression of some sort and said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. That's awesome. Because that allows us in a unique position. There's no cloud. Yeah that most all people have who own any property. Yeah. Um, last question. 
your your what do you call your room with all the cookbooks in it or in all the food books? The back bedroom. The back bedroom. <laughs> the back bedroom is sort of like and this... the cello room. It's the cello practice room as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I saw your stand in there. Yeah. Um, that back bedroom is something of like a fantasy for a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> just that I know. Um, and so you're obviously passionate cooks and you're passionate eaters, and you wouldn't you wouldn't be in this business if you weren't. What's the thing that you would um, eat last if you could, and with whom? Probably be pasta. Oh, God bless you. Yeah. Bill, it might be a steak. A ribeye? Would you be a ribeye? No, no. The, 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 we did a party for a number of people um, not too long ago, Christine McGuire and so forth, where I, I had one of our uh, two-year-old hoggets, which is a large, mature lamb. Oh, okay. And this was harvested not in ideal time. We harvested it just because I wanted to have some prime cuts of this amazing animal. And we did two inch loin chops all the way from the from a chop to a porterhouse style, you know, mm-hmm. you just the whole lineup. On in the Colossus, uh, where they were just simply marinated mint and the usual rosemary and olive oil and blah 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 blah. They were two inch wide. Mm-hmm. So they would stand on all sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically that was a gorgeous experience. So I'm prone to protein and pastas you know it can be a little each but we both love cooking and i tended to do more than barbara in recent years well and i didn't even mention the bread oh there is there is there is that yeah that that's one of the greatest compliments ever had our one of our dear dear friends amanda who is a a really great baker in los angeles Mm -hmm. and she helps at market with barbara and she's in the middle of finishing her whatever at ucla doing a a film on farming and mm. and so forth in her old in her other career, along with maintaining a, a grandmother and other th- other family issues that she's like we all do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, I sent uh, the the half loaf that Bridget. I gave him a half loaf because this is a very tedious bread. It's 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 got a lot of fruit and nuts there, mm. but it's unlike the stolen that I used to make. There's no sugar, no butter, no milk, no eggs. It's simply a tartine-style dough with all these other things added, but they're all steeped in fresh orange juice with with a a quarter cup of bourbon melded so that that sits, and that's... I have a little sliver of a loaf. We'll give you a piece to try. Thank you. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> she t- let her her father taste it, who they're third generation bakers in different parts of the world. And all of a sudden, he was having flavor memories yeah. from his grandfather mm-hmm. 70 years ago. It's the first time in his life he's tasted bread like this. Mm-hmm. And so the slow, hand-done process is very satisfying. And yes. there's, there's two... Well, there's four, a, a, two different batches that'll make four loaves of bread out re, being retarded in the cooler outside. Mm-hmm. And I got from my friend Ian McPhee a bag of this very special Italian pizza dough flour. Mm-hmm. So I've got a batch Double of, zero. Is it double zero? No, it's, I'll show you the name. Yeah. It's an Italian thing he discovered that has just made his pizza twice as good as it was before flowers everything with that yeah Yeah. okay so 
a, a protein and a pasta and a pasta for you. And lots of greens. And lots of greens. Yeah. Yeah. Green. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for, for sitting down with me. I know this is such a busy season and I know that it's daylight hours and I'm eating up your time, but I appreciate Don't it. The daylight hours are longer. <laughs> yes, at yeah. least there's that. Yeah, I got a good break because I had one of the, we have a, a, a roll off that I'm supposed to fill full of old metal parts and this and that. And that was the call that came in. That it, he's, he's fine. He's just checking where, what my status is. So he's so very nice no guy rush, that, that no rush, no, no rush who awesome. has a, the, the, basically he's given this to me. Then we'll get some money back from taking care of things that are rusting and, and yeah. are, are in Barbara's other major life goal is clean up. Yeah. We could spend a whole lot That's of time. That's a forever goal. It never ends. Yeah. Well, thank you again. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks again for listening to Consumed. Special thanks to Chris Lambert, who advised me and edited the show. Want to hear more? Visit letsgetconsumed.com for more tasty interviews and news about upcoming episodes. And please share Consumed with a friend. The more, the merrier. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis.